You're listening to AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today, a podcast dedicated to sharing the knowledge and language of artificial intelligence in the Department of Defense. Join us as we discuss the passion projects for some of today's brightest minds and how artificial intelligence is being cultivated, procured, and delivered throughout the U.S. government. Be prepared to learn how artificial intelligence has become a part of everyday life and is working to support and further government missions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of AI Proficiency Turning Tomorrow into Today. I'm Ariel Moore, the producer of this podcast. Again, today we are joined by our moderator, Kirsten, helping us gather relevant knowledge and expertise from our guest today, Jade Baranski, co-founder and CEO of Mobilize. So thank you for joining us today. Kirsten, the floor is yours. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of AI Proficiency Turning Tomorrow into Today. Today, I have the opportunity to sit down with Jade Baranski, who is going to kick us off by sharing a little bit about yourself and your background. I love to kind of hear how people's career trajectories got them to where they are today and then share with us, what are you up to these days? Love it. Thanks so much, Kirsten. Happy to be here. A uh, little bit about my background. I started out in the services side of tech, really, really quite young. Had one of those incredible mentor opportunities um, that I now see was pure luck, right time, right place. <laughs> um, I have since started a nonprofit to help make those connections uh, more consistent and intentional um, within small business communities. So that's one of the things I've taken on in my career. But I'll jump to the recent past, got into tech about six years ago, bought, sold a few different platforms, worked in state, county, big, like national food bank level. So lots and lots of data, think lots and lots of inconsistent data, (laughs) tons of normalization work in our build of how we were kind of scaling out our tech companies. And then about four and a half years ago, came across this uh, federal DOD problem set called innovation was being duplicated. Let's just, you know, full on. That was, that was the problem we hit on. It was, uh, we were at one of the, you know, Shark Tank, like the, everybody gets up. Yeah. Okay. They do that in the air force. Lots of the branches actually do similar style competitions. So we were at one of those, Jerry, my co-founder and I facilitating. So we were just leading the pitch side. We had tech on the market. We were in data, communications, analytics, that side. They brought eight teams in. So they whittled it down from hundreds of teams. So these eight teams are in the room. We're in San Antonio. We're like, everybody's super pumped up. It's a big deal. You know, it's big for your career. And they start introducing the ideas and we hear one and it's like, you're like, oh, cool. It's like Uber, Uber eats on base. Awesome. Like that sounds great. We get like two or three more down the road. And all of a sudden you're like, that sounded like Grubhub on base. Those are, uh uh-oh, uh-oh, those are very similar. You know, unlike the commercial market, we're not really looking for big duplications of, you know, especially like what would be an enterprise-wide solution. So at the end of that event in the green room, uh, the facilitator, Trish Marshall, she has since moved out of IMSC at the Air Force. But at the time she was really this big champion for like, how do we make this better? And she came to Jerry and I, my co-founder and said, hey, if we had the right data, like if we had the right data, if we just gave you the data, couldn't you show us <laughs> that we were we brought two teams here on accident, PS, uh, doing the exact same thing? And of course, Jerry, my co-founder, draws a on a napkin, classic little cluster map, 
Uh, and the cluster map was all about breaking down the normalized data. So what is the innovation? What does it get after? What's the problem set, right? What are, what are the areas it works within? And using all of that data to deduplicate, like really showcase collaboration and overlap as the core of the data structure. So really truly thought that we were gonna build out a dashboard full circle almost five years later, uh, there was no normalized data, turns out. So there was nowhere to just like grab data, you know, in a perfect format and build out a beautiful dashboard. So we have since uh, been on this mission to bring vision, which is the joint collaboration system uh, first to the DOD. So all the branches working together to deduplicate and scale their efforts. Um, really the first ever place in a cloud-based secure infrastructure that is built around that model. So really, really like at the core started with machine learning and is obviously growing and scaling from there. So I could go on and on, but I'll stop Kirsten so I don't, <laughs> I don't get too far ahead of myself. Oh, that's so cool. I do want to take a step back a little bit and ask, you mentioned that you've been in tech for a few years, six years, I believe is what you said. Um, what initially drew you to technology and at just like a high level also, what is your current passion when it comes to technology and all the things that you're doing, just like what you see from a big picture point of view? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So first for, for anyone who has ever been in services or, you know, in like the normal world consulting, we call it, it's a phenomenal career, right? You learn a lot, your problem solving skills get like, I mean, sharpened to the degree that I think Jerry and I both being from a services consulting background, feel confident that given the right time and information, we can solve most problems, um, which is great, right? It really is phenomenal. And on the small business side of the house, scaling a services business, right? When you have 25, 35 people, you only get bigger with more people. So the idea to scale something right past a certain sort of, we called it a ceiling. There's this glass ceiling in services where you go from like, you know, pretty small up to like major midsize. And then you've got the Deloitte's of the world, right? Largest consulting uh, business it, globally, right? They're, they're huge, huge, huge. And at that point, um, you know, they had so many lines of business, they do so much and it's awesome. We were just looking for something that scaled with a smaller team that we could really make a huge difference for the people in our company, like individually, right? Like every single person who came in the door would see the impact from working with us. Um, and that was really the impetus of selling that services businesses and buying the first tech company. And then has been since then really the driving factor in, you know, it's not that technology is easier, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but it is as far as impact goes, right? The impact we can make as entrepreneurs and as small teams is really incredible. Totally. Oh, what a fascinating journey that must have been. You bet. You <laughs> yeah. bet. So given that ATARC, we're the Advanced Technology Academic Research Center, we're all about bringing together government, industry, and academia. Um, my next question for you is just around what measures have you seen people in your space take when it comes to encouraging innovation as well as collaboration through the different sectors that you deal with, um, whether it be healthcare, education, government, or whoever your, your partners are? Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I'll start with the military, right? Because that was our, that was really our starting point. And, you know, I think you, you hear everything from like innovation's a buzzword, <laughs> all the way over to like, you know, General Brown's Accelerate, Change or Lose. Um, and if you actually read that, there's, that is not buzz language. That is like urgent, 
this is not like we can't mess around with innovation and collaboration. Like if it came down to, you know, something not going well, we have to work together. Like our joint, our joint capabilities is what makes us right America. And, and that language and that messaging is something that uh, the software and what we've since been doing has really we're, we're following the path, the demand signals. So my favorite thing to talk about when we get in front of newer groups of people is like, we didn't make this problem up, right? Like the federal government came to us and said, we have a problem. And we know that our bureaucracy is not set up <laughs> to solve this problem. So let's see how we can leverage tech. And really what's already out there on the market is best practices, right? Big data models, like all the things that, you know, commercials been doing and really take that as an internal opportunity to collaborate at scale, have the army working with the Navy, have the Navy collaborating with the Air Force. Like all of that is now happening. And Kirsten, I kid you not, like even three years ago, so we were into development, we were customizing. We had people telling us point blank, like this was impossible. Like this is an impossible problem to solve. You should like definitely not do this. And like that persistence and that buy-in from the leadership and I think you see it all across the federal space, right? All major branches, DHA, TSA, like your, you know, your three, four letter organizations know that they need to innovate faster and that we need to, right, like be able to not have 10, 20 years between major innovations in tech. Right. I love it. Got to prove the naysayers wrong too. <laughs> well, it, it gives you, it definitely gives some motivate, extra motivation. Right, right, definitely. So speaking of leveraging tech, can you speak to some examples in your space of how you've seen just AI and whatever that, you know, specific to your your industry, your company um, benefits everyone? Could you dive into that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll, I'll start by saying, you know, machine learning, that language has been around for a long, long time, right? And certainly like our foundation for scale is built with a machine learning model. And, and I'll speak to AI a little bit as I kind of get into it, but foundationally, what we've really been looking at from the mobilize and the vision product perspective is how do you actually create uh, data and integrity within that data so that you can scale to like, let's say a really futuristic AI model. Because I think one of the things that gets um, Jerry, my CTO and I talk about this all the time, it gets, it gets missed is that like AI is using data and all data is generated at some point in time by a human, right? Like if you go all the way down to the core of like where it comes from, it was generated by a human being. And it's meant, right, to benefit us. Like we built it, it's here to benefit us. So how do we really start to parallel the conversations around data and AI in a more meaningful, right? Like it all was built and driven by us. And yeah, there's all that, you know, future, we don't know what might happen. We don't have a crystal ball. And how do we in the meantime, and this is what we really specialize in, so this is what like we're talking about internally all the time, is how do we take the data we have at a, at a large scale, right? It's been normalized, we have a lot of it, we have different entry points from different, um, we'll call them innovation arenas, <laughs> whether it be cyber, contracts, the actual projects, right? We have all that data. So how do we now take that data and actually generate decision making opportunities that prior to this right this what will be like the ml ai model they weren't even they weren't questions you could answer so my favorite example of that is you go to start a new project let's say it's in 3d printing it's right innovative additive manufacturing there's a lot of that happening in the federal space 
And there are also tons of regulations in that space. And when I say tons, <laughs> right, you try and change one little part on an airplane, you're not just going in and changing the part on the airplane, right? There's many, many hoops that you need to jump through. So with the big data models, right, we can actually say, these are the steps, this is the pathway, this is what it will take to get this to success. And before you even start down that journey, you can see, right, all of those major milestones. So if, for example, you don't have the bandwidth, you don't have the budget, you don't have the team, it's not that it's not possible, you just know the barriers, right, up front. So it's really those strategic decision-making um, data sets that we're really focused around within the space. Mm -hmm. And well, since you brought up regulations, I'm always curious, oh, no. especially folks working, you know, with the government. Um, what's your opinion on how you see the government planning to, or you know, monitoring and regulating the development and the use of AI technology as it evolves into the future? Yeah, yeah, same same thing. I definitely would lean on CTO right on this mostly, but we talk about security a ton, right? Our entire system's CAC enabled. IL4 and up. So, right, when you're in a sandbox that's secure and you're using the data from that sandbox, it's not that nothing could go wrong, but you're already in the secure environment. So to me, that environment, right, ATOs, CATOs, all, all of the DISA requirements, like that's the foundation that we need to play in. And does it need to get updated for the future of what AI might bring to the table? Yes. And one of the things that you know, internally, we have a lot of conversations about is if we don't start treating this conversation around AI like a sandbox that we need to get into and mess around with and figure things out, then right, the regulations could over regulate very easily, because like we don't know, what we don't know. And there's a lot we don't know <laughs> in this space. Uh, we love in our system because it's modeled and we, you know, the data all lives within vision and we can pull from other known sources. We have a lot of control. And in those environments, right, it's like, use it how it can benefit. And right, otherwise, we still have total control of our environment. And that is not the case in all situations. And it's a great way, we think, for the government to start dipping its toe when it is secure, when, we, when it is in a particular container that's already secured. Do you come across it often where people have misconceptions around AI and all that it entails? Yes, constantly, constantly. Um, I think my favorite is the comparison of like ChatGPT or Bard to like a software, any software system really. Like I think we just get it in our heads that like it can do anything. <laughs> when in reality, if you've ever actually used it to do something meaningful, you know that you actually put in a good amount of effort to get it to where you wanted it to go, right? And it's not just hey, can you start a business for me and make it a scaling model and make it profitable? Has that been done? Yes, it has. But that person, there was 200 steps between the start and then it making its first dollar, right? And understanding what that takes and how to close those gaps is no small feat, right? And there's lots of cheats, quote unquote. Um, and those are really where security gets concerning to us is the, you know, the tools that make, make everything so easy. Like you never have to write again. You know, you start to dig down to like who owns those tools, where that data is going, what might they do with that data, and it, you know, we have to start to balance, um, you know, what's convenient with what is going to get us to the outcomes that we're driving for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it kind of parlays into my next question about is schools and education for students because it's like 
how do we start working with AI technology at the K through 12 level, I guess, in order for to better prepare students for the future, since it's obviously not going away. Um, and people have different, I don't know, different feelings, thoughts about about this. So I'd love to kind of hear what yours, what, what yours are. Yeah, yeah. A um, couple of things. I like to parallel the sandbox conversation in education of like, if you give young people a safe space to play in, like, I mean, they do this in coding, right? Mm -hmm. At really young, like they're starting to introduce coding in preschool now. I have a four-year-old who like really entry-level stuff, right? The basics, how to make the patterns, zeros and ones, like that's at the core of it, it is all still that. So I think that that early introduction is massive, right? And we'll start to add on to what's already being done in that um, within technology in those early education spaces. Plus, like what, what do you want to get out of it? Really starting to teach those critical thinking skills early of like, yeah, AI is going to aid a lot. It's going to benefit us a ton. And eventually, like we, you know, we think at Mobilize that it's going to feel like spell check, right? You're so used to it that you didn't even, you don't even remember when like, spell check didn't exist <laughs> because you know for I don't know when you went to high school but like spell check was iffy still when I was in high school it was like maybe it would catch the error maybe it wouldn't but as I progressed in my career like Grammarly now will tell me here's a shorter better more consistent with your language way to say the same thing here's how we can make you a little better not that it's you know writing things from scratch for me and I think that's just going to be the norm for the younger generations now yeah, makes sense. Some other people have used the example like the calculator, you know, being able to use that during tests. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's really cool. Uh, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges facing the development and deployment of AI? And do you have any insight on what we as individuals or organizations can do in addressing these challenges? Yeah, yeah. Um, the main one that we're sort of coming up against even you know, in the innovation space, it's constant. We're taught, we get asked about AI constantly. We're talking about it constantly. So it's a, it's a nice flywheel. And I think as you get out of environments where let's say everyone's an expert, there is a bit of a conversation for just like, oh, just throw some AI at it. That'll fix the, <laughs> that'll fix the problem. And mostly like, we don't see that that's actually the case within a technological right if we're like looking at a product solution or feature set or something for the users is ai the answer for most things no is it the answer on some larger scale major future right when you have all this data and you can actually pull together the model yes um but it takes thousands tens of thousands of hours to produce those types of models so i think that that conversation around it's not the answer to everything and for the things that it is the answer for, like, let's start getting curious and really looking at what's possible, right, two, three, five years down the line, if we have the correct and necessary data. Because if we don't, right, and my favorite example of this is in contracting, there are so many obvious use cases for AI and ML in contracting, right, solve so many of those, like, close the gap, get the language done. It can, human beings can still review everything. Like it still fits in so many of the constraints that exist in that space. And what's possible in five years when we can actually feed it the data for the demand signals and the contractors can tie back to the strategic priorities. <laughs> like that's, you can't like, that's bananas. It's not just the simple easy win up front. It's what's possible in the future. So 
I think really having those secure environments to play and experiment is going to be a huge, huge opportunity for government, academia, and industry to work together. Yeah. And speaking of the future, let's get that crystal ball out that we talked about at the beginning of this conversation. <laughs> Your child is 44 years old now. So yes. we're looking far out into the future. <laughs> what do you think the future of AI is going to look like? This is just for fun. Obviously, nobody yeah. can really sure but just kind of what what is the impact you think that it's going to have on our world today yeah i think a few different things the spell check example is like still my favorite like it's going to be it'll, it's going to run in the background and i think that the um impact of that is it will feel to us humans as if right we're doing the highest and most beneficial things with our time that we could be doing and that the mundane repetitive right like I'm not so worried about job replacement myself because I think there's plenty of work to be done. <laughs> and once the mundane things can get automated, there's plenty left to do, right? We have so many massive, both you know, national security as well as just social, environmental. There's so many things, so many opportunities. Challenges too, right? Like everything new that comes our way. We need exactly. problems. Who knows? In 40 years, who knows what we're going to be up against? And having those you know, minds early trained for this so that they're up to solving big problems and that, you know, AI is doing those daily routine tasks that will seem, you know, bananas to those of us who lived when this was happening. <laughs> um, and do you remember when like, I don't know, the iPhone came out and I remember looking, I was like, this is a computer in my hand. Like it was a, it was a miracle of miracles at the time. And that was during my lifetime. Things are exponentially increasing four or five times faster than they were 20 years ago. So yeah. I remember I my mom telling me, oh, only celebrities have iPhones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Now we all, do. <laughs> we all do. We all do. I really think it's going to aid. And, and if I just like shift a little bit towards the data within the federal ecosystem, like today in vision, we have all the branches working together. Right. And that was already an impossible feat. So let's just I love your 40 years out. So let's go 40 years out and we have 40 years of data on innovation, modernization and improvement in one place. The types of information that we can provide that previous to this information all being together and right mapped in a model where we can answer these tough questions like um, what was the return. Right. Did that make sense? Were there impacts when it came to the strategic national defense priorities? Like, why did it really matter? What was the return on the mission? Right, like right now, Congress asks those kinds of questions, oh, about every four years <laughs> on repeat. And there's no, like, we don't have a great way to answer them. And what's what's possible when you get the right people, right place, right time, right data, right scale is, right, you can answer those unanswerable questions. And AI is just gonna take that to the next level. Love it. Well, before I ask you my final question, is there anything else you want to cover or maybe a question that I haven't asked that you wish I had? Um, let's see. No, I think the only, yeah, one thing actually, one thing. I, I get approached a lot as a company who works in the space federally, right? Of how, how, can we, how can we get involved? Like we see the space growing, we see all the activity. Um, like if you're on my LinkedIn feed, it seems like its own, <laughs> like its own whole world, this federal innovation data space. And I always tell folks, right? Like you have to start somewhere. So go to an event, 
you know, submit a cyber phase one in an area where you really think you can make a big difference and start building those relationships with folks so that you have stakeholders on the federal side who, who they know they need to work with industry, but we get to make it easy on them. We have an opportunity here as industry to put our hands out and say, right, like, here's what we can do to help and here's how we can provide value against your priorities and what you're really going up after. And that to me is, um, you know, something that we've released a whole set of features and vision to help do that called Ignite. And there's a million ways to do it. And that's just an opportunity that for industry, I would say, um, you know, do it, do it. We need, we need everybody. <laughs> we need everybody. I love it. All right, Jade. So the last question I have for you is if you were to write a book, hmm. what would you write about and why? Ooh, that's a great question. And a surprise question, not on the list. I like it. Uh, <laughs> any book and why? So I, I mentioned that mentorship comment at the beginning and not realizing when I was young that it was right time, right place, like so much luck involved in me meeting that person who really took me along. Um, I, I would definitely, and I probably will do this in my lifetime, write a memoir about how when, when people go out of their, call it comfort zone, to really bring someone beside them who they see something in, even just a sparkle. I mean, I must have had the tiniest, tiniest little sparkle in my eye that someone saw and that changed the trajectory of not just my whole life, my family's life, additional generations, the people all around me, the communities that I'm in, uh, you know, as we get bigger and bigger in these conversations for national security, there's so much at stake when you reach out and you um, make a difference for just one person and you never know what that impact's going to be. So I think that would, that would be my book. That is so beautiful. And I hope to have you back on the podcast so we can promote that book. Uh, I think it's something that needs to be written. So thank you so much, Jade. It's, it's truly been a pleasure and to our listeners for tuning in today and we will catch you at the next one. Thanks, Kirsten. Thank you so much, Jade, for joining us today. I learned a lot from your presentation and I wanted to thank Kirsten again for guiding that conversation and getting us all the information we needed out of today's episode. We hope to see everyone again in the next episode of AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, make sure to like, follow, and subscribe, and share this podcast within your network. These actions move mountains for our mission of sharing artificial intelligence knowledge. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week on our next episode of AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today.